Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And recently I've heard again a sentiment that has been expressed to me many times over the years, but it certainly seems to be becoming more and more prevalent. I was told, rather forcefully, that the Bible was not a rule book. I happen to agree with that statement, because I believe the Bible is much, much more than that. However, every time I have had that comment made to me, it was made by someone who believed the Bible to be too restrictive and confining. They were beginning to chafe against any aspect of it that they would consider to be a rule or an ordinance or a regulation. The truth be told, everyone who has made that statement or a similar one to me was doing so to justify whatever they wanted to do and they were not going to be bound by what the word actually says. Looking at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13, we find, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Anything that can be described in such a fashion is far more than simply a rule book. In this particular passage, the fact that the Word of God is not dead and inefficient, but is rather quick and powerful, is proven by the Lord's judgment against the Israelites in the wilderness. The entire adult generation of Israelites died in the wilderness because of God's decree. Thus the point is easily seen. The threats and warnings of God against unbelievers of the gospel of Christ will certainly be no less living and powerful than were those of the Mosaic Law. The Word of God is the method that God has chosen to communicate His will to man, and it is living and active. There is a dynamic quality to the Word of God. It accomplishes things. According to Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, it is the power of God unto salvation. It can cause a sinner to be moved with godly sorrow to repentance out of love for God. We cannot overestimate the power of God's word. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. Without going into great detail, I believe the point of that is that the word of God allows the sinner to see his actions for what they really are. But that leads to a question. How can the sinner determine that his actions are sinful if there are not rules and regulations that must be obeyed. Why are we told in verse 13 that we are going to have to give an account or, as the New American Standard says, all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do, if in fact we are not going to be held accountable to various commands, ordinances, and yes, even rules. 
In Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, Paul wrote, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. So while we are no longer bound by the rules, regulations, and ordinances of the Old Testament, those rules, regulations, and ordinances were part of the law of Moses and were, in fact, blessings from God and indicated whether the hearts of the Israelites were right toward God or not. Perhaps you recall Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, when Moses asked the people to think of any other nation that had been so highly favored by God as they were. He asked them, For what nation is there that has a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting down before you today? A little bit further down in verse 33 he had asked them, Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you heard it and survived? When did they hear the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire? It was when God was giving the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. All the requirements of the old law were righteous, given by God, aimed at the hearts of the people, and expected, indeed commanded, to be obeyed. By the way, according to Collins' dictionary, synonyms for statute are rule, regulation, precept, decree, law, and so forth. While it is so much more, one has to turn a blind eye and a hardened heart to God's word to say that it is not a rule book. And even though it is not just a rule book, it is unquestionably a book that contains rules, regulations, commands, and statutes to be obeyed. Again, those who make these kinds of statements would say, that's the Old Testament, and we're not under the Old Testament any longer. I would say that that is true. We are no longer under the Old Testament, but it is wrong to say that we are not under law because we are. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 3, verse 27, Paul wrote, Where then is boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? Of works? No, but by a law of faith. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 21, Paul wrote the following. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, that I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those that are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without law. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, Paul said, Bear one another's burdens, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. In James 1 verse 25, James said, But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. In 1 John 3 and verse 4, we read, Everyone who practices sin is also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So if there is no law, there is no sin. If there is no law, then what in the world is the law of faith that we are under? What is the law of Christ that we are under? 
What is the perfect law of liberty that we are under? How can something be transgressed if we are not required to obey it? My friends, words mean something. They are fundamental not only to the gospel of Christ, but in any oral or written process of communication that man utilizes. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14 we read, And it was for this he called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, Paul wrote, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. God chose to save the world through the foolishness of preaching. And what are we to preach? The gospel. And what is the gospel? It is the power of God unto salvation. And in what is the gospel contained? It is contained in words. In fact, when Peter was describing what had happened with Cornelius to certain of the brethren in Jerusalem, he said in Acts chapter 11, verses 12 through 14, the following, And the Spirit told me to go up with them without misgivings. And these six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa, and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here, and he shall speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all of your household. My friends, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17, the sword of the Spirit is said to be the word of God. Every case of conversion in the book of Acts was preceded by preaching, by telling people of the words by which they must be saved. Far too many people, especially today in the megachurches built and designed to attract excitement and entertainment rather than through the foolishness of preaching and the presentation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and all that that entails, have boldly proclaimed that all you have to do is believe in Christ, be charitable as they perceive charity, and all of the other things presented in the New Testament are nice but not required. Very little is required, nothing is commanded, and there is very little accountability. I can certainly understand the attraction, but that is not what I find in the New Testament. In 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul wrote to Timothy, As I urged you upon my departure from Macedonia, remain on in Ephesus, in order that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Skipping on down to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5-11, through 11, we are told that the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men, straying from these things, have turned aside to fruitless discussion, wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good, if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is made not for the righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Turn over to chapter 4 and look at verse 13. Until I come, 
give attention to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation and teaching or doctrine. Skipping down to verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching or doctrine. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourselves and for those who hear you. Looking at chapter 6 and verse 1, we find that all who are under the yoke of slaves regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and our doctrine may not be spoken against. In verse 3, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness. Now, was Paul writing only about the birth of Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension? The obvious answer to that is no. In fact, those specific, specific things were not even referenced. But he wrote about sound teaching, which can also be properly translated as sound doctrine, which was according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. The gospel contains facts to be believed. Yes, it also contains commandments and regulations to be obeyed. My friends, words mean something. Now, I may not always be right in ascertaining what they do mean, but the fact that they do mean something cannot be offhandedly dismissed because I want to do what I want to do. In Romans chapter 16 and verse 17, we are told, Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching or doctrine which you have learned and turn away from them. What is the point that I'm trying to make? The very same point that the Holy Spirit was making in 2 John 6-11. through This is what he said, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you might not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching he has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. What we believe matters. What we do matters. How we worship the Lord Jesus Christ matters. Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 was addressing what was taking place in worship services of the Corinthian church. There is no doubt that they had miraculous spiritual gifts at that time. We don't have them now. However, the principles Paul taught in that chapter related to worship do apply. For he wrote in verses 36 through 38 the following, Was it from you that the word of God first went forth, or has it come to you only? If anyone thinks he is a prophet or spiritual, let him recognize that the things which are right to you are the Lord's commandment. But if anyone does not recognize this, he is not to be recognized. What we teach concerning responsibilities and, yes, requirements set forth in the New Testament matters. We are not free to pick and choose what part of it we want to believe and obey. 
We are not free to say, for instance, I won't give up on baptism, but I just don't think the other things matter. Because the truth is, if a person will give in the sense of not abiding by anything required in the New Testament, they ultimately will give on everything required in the New Testament. And what will result will be a religion with as much validity as the one that was created by Jeroboam. As I have said so many, many times, it is my prayer that all of those who believe in Jesus and worship him in some way will be saved. But it would be the height of arrogance for me to teach that. Jesus said in John 8, 31 and 32, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Did he mean that or not? Do those words have meaning or not? The last several generations have sought to minimize the significance of the commandments of the Lord, either spoken by him or given through the writers of the New Testament. They have sought to de-emphasize the importance of words. Why? Unfortunately, actual meaning has been replaced by feelings, and the gospel of Jesus Christ requires both. My friends, remember, the words we find in Scripture are there because God wanted them there. Words mean something, and it is ours to understand and obey. Thanks for listening.